Today, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Now, you know from listening to this show that our money is broken. Fortunately, we have Bitcoin, a better money that will help us build a brighter future. But if you don't have a Bitcoin strategy and a trusted partner to help you execute that strategy, then you're probably going to fall behind. Now, I've known the Swan Bitcoin team for years. The Bitcoiners at Swan are mission driven and have deep expertise and respect in the Bitcoin space. In my opinion, this is the team you want on your side. Today, I'd like to highlight Swan's private client services division, which guides high net worth individuals and businesses around the world toward building and preserving wealth with Bitcoin. So visit swanprivate.com and learn how this concierge service gives you direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin advisor by phone, messaging, and email. Swan will guide you on complex areas such as self-custody, or you can choose to hold your Bitcoin through Swan with one of the largest U.S. regulated custodians. So make your first purchase with Swan Private and get $100 of Bitcoin. Just tell them that I sent you. You know, an opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family and company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. Sign up at swanprivate.com today, mention Breedlove to your advisor, and get $100 in free Bitcoin when you make your first buy. Adam Curry, the legendary podfather himself, welcome to the What Is Money Show. <laughs> Robert, man, so nice to finally meet you. I, I have uh, been looking forward to this day for about two and a half years. Um, I went on Joe Rogan. First time was just before lockdown started. Uh, so it was about February, March, 2020. And I talks, I said, mentioned something about Bitcoin or I said something. And ever since then, my timeline has always been full of how stupid a job I did. I didn't know what I was talking about. And Joe needs to get breed love on. That's all that I've been hearing for two and a half years. What? Really? Yes. Yeah. A lot of people are like, Breedlove, Breedlove's got to, he can explain that to Joe. He needs to orange pill Joe and please. And so I'm like, oh, I got to meet this guy. Uh, I'm familiar well, with your, with your medium stuff, of course, and, um, and your podcast. Uh, but yeah, it's very nice to meet you, man. It was very nice to meet you as well. I appreciate you saying that, but I promise you that was, you said two and a half years ago. Those were back in so. the days when I was well-liked. Now I'm much more comfortable. <laughs> oh, did that change? Oh, what did you do I, wrong? Everything is <laughs> changing all the time these days, it seems like. Um, but yeah, I think you taking that conversation. I don't know who got Rogan turned on to Bitcoin originally, but I know you've spoken to him a lot about it. So uh, I'm always grateful for people taking that conversation into those forums where it can really engage with a lot of other people. Um, now it seems like less of an issue because Bitcoin has just become mainstream to some extent, at least in people's, everyone's heard of it at this point. But the, you know, the past five, six years, that was not the case. It really felt like Every time you were talking positively about Bitcoin, most of the world thought you were crazy or joined a cult or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. it takes takes courage, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, it's all in the approach and uh, and the audience and uh, understanding when you when you start on you know like I'm going to quote unquote orange pill someone, you know, you really need to know what you're talking about in order to make it flow easily and to adapt to each individual audience. So. Um, I really didn't start to understand Bitcoin really until, mm, well, in, until the pandemic, when I was doing two things, I was 
watching all briefings and, you know, he had these hour long things that Trump would do with his, with the uh, Lieutenant Commander Übersturmführer Burks and Fauci and all these people. And so I was trying to dissect what they were talking about. I was reading, you know, research papers, documentation, and just to do something else, um, I started looking at Bitcoin again, which I'd known about since, um, well, 2010, I think. No, uh, yeah, I guess around very early on, people were sending me Bitcoin. This is different. You, you got to look at this thing. And I was doing the show, uh, No Agenda podcast with John C. Dvorak, which you've been doing for 15 years. Um, and we really just kind of regarded as everything that we've seen come along in all the years. We're jaded old fucks. So mm-hmm. we're like, ah, oh, it's like beanie babies. Okay. This is fine. This is fun. And, and I, rem- I remember specifically several emails saying, no, this is, you really got to look at this here. Just do this, get this wallet, which is like a, you know, a full, uh, on a Mac, some laptop, whatever, you know, downloading mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of gigabytes of data. And the whole thing was confusing to me, but I had 65 at one point. And then when it hit a thousand dollars, you know, in 2015 or whatever, $900, I'm like, wow, a thousand bagger, boom, get rid of all of it. <laughs> so, um, as you know, that, as the price action changed after that, but also I really had time. I went back, let me read this white paper. Let me see what this is. And I found it surprisingly uh, easy to understand. Hmm. And, and that I did. Um, but, but I'm used to reading, like, I don't find legislation hard to look at because it's English. You just got to, you might have to Google a word or two, you know, mm-hmm. when they start referring to different documents and you insert this word here and there, I mean, that's a very technical thing. And, and that's a, that's a skill that you have to develop, but just in general, I mean, you can read when things change and what the, what the meaning is and, mm-hmm. and what you can expect and when something to be enacted. So for me, reading the white paper was, oh, I can read this. You know, I was also reading you know, ivermectin studies, you know, <laughs> so at least you, you, you get into this level. It's not all that hard. You know, you're just not a scientist or an economist or whatever, but you can, you can, if you can read English, you can get to it. Um, and so, you know, learning, learning so much from that and then uh, falling kind of into the lightning network, which came up around this time. Uh, and then I'm, I'm a classic tinkerer. It's like, okay, Raspberry Pi, let me get one of these things. Let me load this up. Give me some raspy blitz love going here. Let me see how, what this is and opening a channel. And then, and then all these other, a lot of things start to clip, you know, start to click into place. Like, ah, okay, I see it. And, th- and that's a journey, even if it's just the white paper, you, you can't really explain. Um, I don't know if Joe has ever read the white paper, but I know that if he did, he would... Um, he would probably talk about it more often because mm. he's the kind of guy that can easily read that and go, ah, okay, I see this Byzantine general's problem, all these different, he's a, he loves history, but you can't, you can't make him do that. You know? So I was always looking for, I've been on his show four times. I'm always looking for, what can I, what can I say? Not that I'm looking to orange pill him, but how can I make this understandable? And when I hit on the Bitcoin has no CEO, Oh, that's the difference between Ether and Bitcoin. No, not exactly, but it's a good way to think of it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that gives you a, a just the start. So if there's no CEO, what implications does that have? How would that work in a company? Well, you'd have to have some kind of rule system that everyone adhered to, the protocol, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of how I approach it. My uncle, uh, uh, Ren Curry, who is, I think he's 84, uh, recently had a small family reunion in New York, and I hadn't seen him in a, in a while. And, um, he was a MIT NASA guy, like some, some of the 
more secretive stuff. You know, and my whole family is spooks and military. And, and, and so he was talking about, he was building some algorithm to, to st- trade stocks. I'm like, okay, well, that's a great way to lose your money, but okay, it's fine. Cause there's a lot you can't, I've did some day trading. So I kind of like, nah, I don't know about that, Ren. He says, no, but I've got some good results. I'm sure you do. Um, and, then we, and he was like, now tell me about Bitcoin. I said, well, why don't you read the white paper? He says, well, is that thing where they basically say it's a digital currency? I said, well, why don't you give it a shot? And his reply to me, you know, top MIT NASA guy was magnificent. You know, he said, that's what he thought of the white paper. Now, he's still probably trying to build that stupid algo to trade S&P <laughs> or whatever, but um, he thought it was magnificent. And, you know, so for everyone, you have a different approach because what I find is when you, uh, when someone understands the core tenets of Bitcoin, your whole interaction with that person changes or can oh, yeah. change. And you think about things in a different way. And uh, that's, why, that's why it's so obvious to me that the concept of value for value when it comes to podcasting and streaming Satoshis would work really well with Bitcoin audience because they understand that value for value and right. time preference, et cetera. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Um, I think the whole COVID episode, you know, it really just highlighted a lot of things. One, it seems like it was a huge accelerant on just the digital age, kind of forcing everyone to be at home and then engage with, you know, one another via Zoom. Also opened up all this opportunity for people start to start doing independent research on things like Bitcoin um probably a lot of other things that were going on at the time like you mentioned ivermectin and all those rabbit holes um and then that so you're kind of combining all these people stuck at home engaging with their internet or uh smartphone more than ever right it's everything now all the communications and mediations are start to be mediated by that and then you back that up with all this money printing madness right which is exactly what bitcoin is designed for and then now it's also all this heavy handed government overreach. So it's kind of like this perfect storm that's been brewing, I think, for, for Bitcoin to really shine. And it's been exciting to see a number of things you know, the price action, I think, indicates a lot of it. It, you know, Bitcoin got knocked down to like 4,000 bucks, I think, on March 2020. And then mm-hmm. it ran up. That's, what, that's when I that's when I got back in, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> My wife and I went not making that mistake again. That's a damn good time to buy um but it's so it's like so much that's happening in the world today again if you've studied history like it bodes pretty poor for the future of i mean everywhere but even in the united states once we start printing money rampantly and trying to pass you know all these new weird laws um i think it's a sign that things are going to get pretty bleak for a while and I don't, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but just, I guess I've studied too much of monetary history. And once you ramp up the printing presses as fast, things just get weird. Um, it would be really cool though, to have, you mentioned um, Joe reading the white paper. I feel like he would get that too, because it is, it all comes down to that Byzantine generals problem. The idea of being able to propagate a message across a network of people that don't like each other or trust each other in a way that the message uh, is correct, right? It's, it's, it has high fidelity to it. Not source. corrupted, yeah. Yeah, an incorruptible messaging system. It is mind blowing when you see it that way. And then it, so it's like, okay, it is that, but it's also money, but it's also money that can be used to build this value for value messaging system in like 
the podcasting 2.0 world, which is super interesting. What are you, so you mentioned this earlier, <clears throat> the podcast index. Can you just walk me through that? Like what, how did you get involved? I guess, how'd you get involved with podcasting originally? And then what led mm -hmm. you to creating the podcast index that got you into what I guess we're now calling podcasting 2.0? Please correct me. Yeah, it's, that's kind of what, it, what it's become, although it encompasses much more about 17 new features, um, which, you know, now we've got like 58 apps and services using it. Um, so we have to, but it's all intertwined, which is interesting. I think we go back to 2000, uh, before podcasting, podcasting really kind of officially was born 2003. It got a name around that time as well. Um, uh, Dave Weiner was, uh, basically he invented weblogs and blogging and he did that through RSS and this RSS protocol was really simple syndication. So you could um, basically write an RSS feed in a text editor if you needed to. A human could read it, but it was really intended for a computer based on XML standards. And I love this whole publish-subscribe mechanism. He, his software was even called Radio Userland. And I have to know, I'm a radio guy from when I was 13. I built my first radio transmitter. I was pirate broadcasting at 15. I was on radio nationally in the Netherlands and television when I was 19, you know, then went to MTV. I've had syndicated radio shows. I'm a ham radio operator. I have my general license. You know, I'm, I'm always about broadcasting radio, et cetera. So I said, you know, Dave, what we need, because at the time in 2000, I'd just moved back to Amsterdam with my family, having been in New Jersey for a while. We had cable modems and cable modems were great because no, they weren't fast, but you had always on internet. You didn't have to dial up anymore. This was a luxury. It was not available. I mean, the Netherlands, one of the first countries to really have it while we were still struggling with dial up in the U S and ADSL, et cetera. Um, and, um, uh, so I said, well, what if, because you know, the experience was no good. If you wanted to see a video file or listen to something, you click on it, it would download, you'd wait, you know, a video file could take 10 minutes and then you clicked on it and it had to spin up and the processors weren't fast. So the experience was shit. And I'm a broadcaster. So I said, uh, why don't we do this? If we can make like a, an attachment to an RSS, to a blog post, that then some software on my com computer can just be an aggregator, can be looking for all the time. And it says, oh, there's something new from that publisher. Uh, download it. Don't tell me until you have it downloaded, ready to play. So then say, ding, there's something new. I won't know. I didn't lose any time not waiting for it. Mm -hmm. Click on it, immediate experience. Uh, actually, I flew to New York to convince him to do it. He, I don't think he liked me very much. He didn't understand what I was saying, but I w was persistent. And we came to an agreement and he did it. And so I flew back and for several years, the only two people using this system was Adam Curry and Dave Weiner. And it was just in his software. I mean, there were a couple of people were catching on and people using blogs, but not with this, we call the enclosure, which is now where you attach your podcast file. And then I saw my first iPod and my immediate response was radio receiver, not digital Walkman, not jukebox, no radio receiver. It looked just like the one my grandmother gave me when I was five or six years old, little Sony solid state transistor, nine volt battery. And I'd listen to the, the basketball games under my pillow. You know, I love the sound, the squeaking of the, um, the, the shoes on the, on the wood and everything. And, and so I immediately went about, and I was a Mac guy at the time writing an Apple script, which is hell because there's really no documentation. I know what I was doing, but I, I was able to make it so that I could publish a feed 
with a couple of episodes, you know, MP3 files that I'd recorded myself. And then they would come into the iPod. You still had to sync it to your computer back in the day. So your computer would download it. It would have all those files on iTunes and would update the iPod. And boom, there were your radio shows at the time on your iPod. And so this caught on very quickly because I published this script and I said, hey, somebody help me make a better one. We need all, we need applications. We didn't have iPhones or anything like that. Uh, so there was no app stores. You had to get an application from somewhere. And so we got, uh, we came with this name, iPodder was the kind of a general name. We had iPodder X, iPodder Lemon, all these different groups. And here's what I learned out of this experience. I started arguably, it doesn't matter if it was the first show or not, but it was uh, the daily source code. And the whole point of this podcast, which eventually got the name podcast, not for me from Danny Gregoire, um, was to talk about the developers who were creating these radios, basically these applications that you could manage your, your shows and you, in which, you know, now we call podcasts. And so I'd be talking about them, this iterative loop, this is exactly what makes podcasting great. So the people on the other side also have digital tools and they can send stuff back and they can make stuff and they can send you links. And so this is something that never really been done before in radio. Uh, and that, that just grew so quickly. And then all of a sudden Steve jobs calls me and you know, it's like Steve jobs. Yeah. You, you have time for, for a chat. I'm like, I don't know, Steve, let me check my calendar. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I got some time for you. You know, so I meet the guy, we talk for an hour and I'm, and I've met a lot of people in my music career and I'm super impressed by this guy. I mean, he's like, holy crap. And he's, he's energetic and pissed off at the same time. And he wanted something from me. So as I've learned later uh, from stories from other people and reading books, um, I was in the courting phase, which is a very attractive place to be with Steve Jobs. And he said, hey, man, can I get your blessing to put podcasting into, into iTunes and, uh, and, uh, and on the iPod as a thing? I said, again, I'm like, let me see. Let me think about it, Steve. Yeah, of course. Now, um, so that really blew up podcasting once that happened. I mean, he demoed with the daily source code right, right there, all things D. and you know, and it, and it took off and we had a lot of great people like uh, Tony Khan from WGBH in Boston, who really brought NPR into podcasting early on before, uh, Apple came in. Now, the first thing that I kind of noticed when Apple launched is all their content on the front page of iTunes at the time was all very safe. PBS, BBC, you know, or NPR, you know, really safe, safe stuff. You could find everything. There was an explicit tag. Oh, oh goodness, let's not let all the horrible stuff come to the forefront. So that was kind of weird, you know, because a lot of people had been, had been pioneering this and then everyone was kind of shoved to the background, but it was understandable. Um, I personally made a mistake in this whole process where I gave the, what we had, we had a directory at iPodder.org. It's about 5,000 podcasts and it was categorized by geography. And I gave it to Apple. It's like, hey, you know, you go ahead. Here's the directory. Go build it. What that really did is Apple became the de facto on-ramp to podcasting. Now, they were great stewards for, you know, what are we now? Like we're 10, yeah, about 10 years. Um, they've, they've done a, a, a very admirable job um, of getting content in and managing that properly. What they also did is their database, their index of podcasts, because of the nature of how their podcast app worked, they left that open so that any uh, application developer could use the app, the iTunes database to build a podcast app around. 
um, because as it turns out, it's really, when you have 5,000 podcasts, it's, it's easy to search and to subscribe to stuff and keep them updated. When you have 5 million, it becomes a whole different job. So there was no competition to that. Uh, Apple was kind of the place where you got your podcast. Now, right around the same time, I go see Joe Rogan for the first time. Uh, he's about to announce his deal with Spotify. Um, but also there was like Apple overnight with Facebook and Twitter and a couple of the Silicon Valley companies deplatformed about 15 podcasts. And it was Alex Jones, but it was also innocuous stuff like X22 report, which you could almost see as entertainment. But, you know, it was like, and it was so disappointing. I'm like, Apple, what are you doing? You know, even Google didn't go that far, though I think they may have now. So there was this deplatforming. Joe was even telling me at the time, man, I really have to make this move because my advertisers are, you know, I'm losing advertisers over cancel culture. So I'm like, well, you're making the right decision here. But, you know, Houston, we've got another problem. How, how do I make the open podcasting ecosystem work for, um, for the next Joe Rogan, the next 10 Joe Rogans, because they will be there. And, and this financial deplatforming, that's a, that's a big problem. So, you know, so now we're into lockdown and I'm tinkering around and, uh, and I, and actually I, uh, another friend of mine in, uh, uh, in Finland, he says, Hey man, listen to uh, Marco. He's the developer of overcast. And he was saying that because he has a very, you know, very popular app and he also gets his information or got his information from the Apple database. And they were now starting to change the way results came back. They were starting to hide stuff. So the, this was no longer trustworthy and we had, no one had any recourse. So I thought, well, the first thing we need to do is we just need to build the, the database and make it open and provide an API that everybody can talk to it. So we, you know, we can solve the, the, uh, the, the deplatforming that way. Cause we'll, we'll get people to tie into it with apps and the financial part. So that's a problem because people are getting deplatformed at the bank level, at the PayPal level, above that at Patreon, you know, card processors. And holy crap, man, this, this is like, and what, you know, this has been going on for a while, payday loan. I mean, there's all kinds of hookers, weed, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, you, you can't really do free commerce. Um, and, and so, you know, so the only thing, and, you know, and it's only a matter of time until they come for only fans and that's, and, and I'm very familiar with the donation model. So before I complete this story, I need to go back and say 14 years ago, John C. Dvorak and I, we decided that we were going to do our podcast professionally, but we needed to get paid. And we knew that we could never talk about what we wanted to talk about coming from media mainstream. Um, if we had advertising or any kind of sponsorship, it had to come from the people. We chose PayPal as our vehicle. And we said, you know, we started off with, send us $3 a show. And we got the, the expected disappointing results. And then we said, you know, why don't, why don't we just leave this open? Just send us whatever you want to send us. Uh, we recommend $5. So, but you know, whatever you value this time that we spent together, you, you send that back. Mm. The next day we got a lot of $5. We got some $50 and a couple of $500. Wow. And we never looked back. And we said, so all we need to do is ask. If you ask in the right way by saying, okay, you just spent three hours listening to us. Was it any value? Did you laugh? Or then, and did it make you think of something? Uh, is it comparable to an hour and a half in the movie theater with a date? You know, it's going to be 50 bucks, whatever it is, whatever that's worth to you. And surprisingly, well, unsurprisingly, only about 4% of the audience actually 
participates in the financial part of support. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it is unbelievable how highly people will value your work based on your own value. So when someone comes in and throws down $1,000, hey, great episode, I'm taken aback. You know, for that person, it may have been easy. I don't know. That's the beauty of it. This, you can't value a media product in a traditional way just by saying, well, you know, I worked really hard on it. And I don't give a shit. You know, the, the, right. the view takes, you know, 50 people to put on. It's a crap show with cranky women, you know, but still, that's not the way to value it. And I would never... If I watched it, I'd give them something, but I, it wouldn't be a lot because I think it's, you know, but there's stuff that I listen to that I kind of hate listen to and, and I'll still support it. So these are, this is where you see some Bitcoin ethos comes into what is valuable to me? What is my time worth? So these types of things become important. So we coined that the value for value uh, model, which initially was meant for monetization only, but it turns out to be an entire broadcast format. Because the way it works best is when you then thank people and tell them what they sent you. And so it's completely transparent. You can sit there and tally it all up and say, oh, these guys made this much money. Maybe that's how you determine it. Well, he didn't make very much, not, not as much as last week. I'll give him this week. I don't know. There's something in the human psyche that hits that when you ask people give. My wife, who um, is a semi-retired um, a nonprofit communications executive, uh, like C suite level, most recently at Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Texas. She says the number one reason people don't give to charity is because they weren't asked. It's, it's crazy wow. to hear that. So, so I knew that that system worked. Um, it's not very frictionless, although we accept there are people who send us checks, uh, gold coins, uh, cash in the mail, all kinds of things, lots of cash and envelopes and meetups. It doesn't matter, but you know, PayPal is, is the one way. It's of course very vulnerable. Uh, so I'm not just doing it for the world, but also for myself. So what mm-hmm. happens if you know whatever takes place and there's a some deep, some financial deplatforming? Well, how do we circumvent that? And I understood how Bitcoin worked, but then when I saw the Lightning Network, which is programmable money, and really truly the answer to two of the big promises of technology in the internet was always. Um, your refrigerator will order milk just as you're running out and it'll be delivered automatically to your home, which has not happened. Um, but micropayments. And so here it is. This is a micropayment. It's like broadcasting money. Well, you use Keysend, which is, you, know, you don't need a, an approved invoice for a Keysend payment. You're just pointing a hose and, and just spewing sats at somebody. And, you know, and, and if, they're, if their catcher's mitt, if their note isn't up, their catcher's mitt isn't open, they may not get them, you know, this, so this is like, this just like broadcasting a trans, a transmitter and a receiver, except you have it in one, you can send money, you can receive money. And so the way I saw it was you got MP3 ones and zeros coming in here and that's value to you. And whatever it is you assign to that, you send it back in ones and zeros back to that creator. And then by adding, um, okay. So that's what I pitched my, my friend, Dave Jones. Dave Jones, I've known for more than 10 years. He's in Alabama. He's a, a IT guy at an accounting firm. We built all kinds of crazy products together. We met kind of uh, online through another project. And we built all this shit that no one uses but us. And I say, Dave, it's, and it's always the same way. I guess it's a great idea. This is a great idea. And he'll say, okay. So say, this is it. We're going to build the definitive podcast index. We're going to get all of the podcasts in there. We're going to have it clean. We'll have an API. 
We use Lightning Network and we'll have app developers and they're going to come in and they're going to hook it all up. And he went, oh, okay, it's fine. And that's literally how we started. And then just by talking about it, we did a podcast, Podcasting 2.0. Uh, so I took the same model that worked in podcasting 1.0 and lo and behold, boom, all these developers who had all this pent up creativity, they couldn't do anything in podcasting because um, it was Apple didn't change the protocol. Um, so therefore the hosting companies never change anything. It's the protocol and you can add to RSS with a namespace. It's very simple to do, but no one had the the power to do that. And so Joe Rogan had just recrowned me the podfather because no one knew who the fuck I was anymore. It's just a washed up MTV VJ with a podcast. Not to the people who listen to the podcast, but in general. So here I am, I've been re, um, recertified by Joe Rogan. I'm like, holy shit. So now I had a position and I said, I'm fucking doing this. What did you want? Chapters, transcripts, geolocation. Oh yeah, we got money. All of that's in here. We do everything. There's no right or wrong way. We do it, whatever sticks, whatever the developers use. And here it comes. This is the brilliance. App developers have never had a piece of the, of the money, of the money flow. So before Joe was even on Spotify, his ads, the app that you listen, that you listen to Joe Rogan on was not involved in any of that. The poor app developer who, of course, you know, makes a lot of this possible has to resort to tracking you, selling your data or scammy click ads or, you know, or asking for a $2.99 a month. Again, not value for value, but something that Silicon Valley has determined you can charge this much and we're taking 30%. Mm. So they had no skin in the game. So we developed another big thing I always wanted to solve is how um, uh, music licensing works and how royalties work. Because particularly the performing rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, there's a couple other international ones, CSAC. Um, they're, they're, like, they're almost criminal how they operate. And it really doesn't behoove the right people most of the time. Mm -hmm. So here we have an opportunity to do direct from consumer, no middleman, directly to the creator. So if I have a podcast and I have a co-host and maybe someone helps me with production and I borrowed five grand from my mom, uh, I can split those in a royalty-based system completely based upon my own desires and I have control over it in my feed so that 40% to me, 40% to my co-host, you know, <coughs> excuse me, 10% to the person who helps produce and 10% <coughs> goes to my mom for the payback of the loan. So now you have a, a digital royalty system that is fair, transparent, everybody gets paid in real time no 24 to 36 month waiting period for royalties and everyone's been taking bits and pieces off of it. Totally, totally transparent. And, uh, and we fucking did it. And now we have all these apps that are using it. Fountain is, you know, off to they've, they're fucking gamifying this. Now you can reverse it. You earn sats by listening to something and then you can send them to your favorite show. So they're doing all hmm. kinds of stuff. We have the boostograms actually because um, you're on it. I, I sent you a boostogram. I don't know if you know how to read those, but um, oh, is that on fountain? You sent that. Yeah, you can see it on fountain. Yeah. So, yeah, we, so you, we're integrated, but I don't look at it often. I need to, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting excited to look at it more now. Well, so the way that I uh, receive um, payments and donations from PayPal has a little note, you know, like, Hey man, thanks for this, whatever it is. Uh, here's why I sent $69 and 69 cents, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. 
or hey, 420 donation today. So that now is in the boostergrams. So you can just send a, a random amount, like a thousand sats. You can stream in real time per minute that you listen. Like I usually send 200 sats per minute to whatever I'm listening to. I value my time highly. And then if you hold it down, you can send a boostergram and you can add a note. You can do whatever number you got. We recently on um, Podcasting 2.0 got a 5 million Satoshi boostergram. I'm surprised we even had the channel capacity for it to come through, but it did. I mean, this is exciting shit when, when you see this happen. So it used to be you start a podcast and then you go to your hosting company and look at the stats. Okay, well, most people are listening in America and some in Sweden over here. Okay, and I've got this many downloads. Maybe I can get some ads, you know, but it's uh, I don't know. And now, right away, you see Satoshi streaming in. When someone's listening to your podcast, it may be one Satoshi, maybe 10, maybe 100, whatever it is. Boom, boostagram. I've got a note. So we've removed all this friction. We've removed the friction of, uh, of everything in between the, the producer and the listener. So you're getting my direct creation and content through this app, and you can feed back immediately by really showing how much you appreciate it by hitting a button right there next to the play button. And so that, that, that makes this so incredibly exciting um, for all types of media, but also software, because now Podcast Index asks, we don't take, asks for 1% of everyone's boost. Everyone gives it to us. The apps are now, they have a pitch. Hey, you know, um, in addition to what you're sending, I like to take 3% because I do all this work and here's my app and you're using it. And people have no problem with this. No one's bitching about it. That's what's so great. Everyone's like, yeah, this makes sense. I don't mind paying for something that I'm using. And if I think it's no good, I'll just use it for, for free or question why am I using this thing I don't value? I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, right. it's a market force that puts you at the center of the market. That's super cool. Um, and it seems, I mean, it's quite intuitive, honestly. You know, this is the ideal type of communication system. Just, yeah, it's time, right? People trading their time. Producers but it wouldn't have worked. Work. It can't work unless it's a completely open system. And that's what makes it so great. Right. And so Bitcoin and, and RSS, really, because that's really what podcasting is, those two, they're just like the Mac daddies of, uh, of the backbone of messaging and free speech. I mean, Bitcoin, if you say money is free speech, Bitcoin is free speech. Podcasting is the literal embodiment of free speech right. or freedom of speech, whatever you yes. want, you know, whatever political slant you want to give to it. But fucking speaking your mind and not having someone say you can't do that and you're done. Right. Yeah. No, it's absolutely incredible that, and I, it seems like, because that was such an important part of the world, right? If you go back to the days of Plato and Socrates, like that's what they did. They all came in the square and they talked and, you know, it was just. And it got rowdy. Yeah. It got rowdy. <laughs> and there's, you know, everyone's, there's a lot of dialogue basically taking place. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the dialogical process is very important for figuring all these things out. That's how we've gotten this civilized basically is through thinkers like that and through that process. But in the 20th century, it got really screwy because everything, it seems like because the technological landscape was such that everything was top down, right? We we're basically getting messaging through mainstream media, which if you, you know, really analyze what mainstream media is, it's ultimately... It's like Michael Malice calls it the corporate press. Um, I think you'd also call it like the central bank 
funded media apparatus like you're not getting truth through that medium you're just getting agenda or propaganda a message yeah messaging yeah and people didn't have this ability to have this peer-to-peer value to value the techno technology just wasn't there essentially for you know at least the entire 20th century and so now perhaps in the digital age we're having like this resurgence of dialogue or this return to um the public square format of people just was talking amongst themselves and that that seems to be really powerful and the way bitcoin as you said it is just free speech that also happens to be money but now it has this extra um capability i guess through the lightning network to re-enable or to enable rather freedom of speech in the digital age in a way we've never we never had before so it's super fascinating you could almost call it i mean it's almost like money over internet protocol in a way but then you can attach speech to the money as well mm-hmm. to, in, well, to, I, I to think the, increase the, the signal. Yeah, the, the, the comparison has been made that, you know, uh, Bitcoin is, or maybe it's better to say that Bitcoin is like the TCP IP stack of the internet and lightning is the HTTP. You know, right. this, is, this is the stuff we build on top of it. To go back to what you said, about mainstream, and this is what I've done, you know, for the past 15 years of my life with Dvorak is deconstruct mainstream media or deconstruct media is more fair um, because uh, we grew up, we participated, he, him much more on the publishing side, but also television, radio. I was really exclusive television, radio, and we understand the mechanisms, how it works, how it works inside these organizations. I was at MTV for seven years, you know, arguably one of the most woke corporations then and now. Hmm. Um, and uh, which can have successes depending on what era you're living in. Um, but the, uh, uh, the town square where we're all coming together and yelling, we didn't have little, little people walking around shuffling the opinions, uh, you know, based upon some plan, which is what algorithms do. So you do not have a town square on Twitter. You do not have a town square on anything that has algorithmically uh, 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 displayed results, you're being manipulated one way or the other, intentionally or not, you're being manipulated. It's not truth. Uh, we often say in podcasting, the feed is the source of truth. So whatever you have in your podcast feed, that's the truth. I don't care whatever else someone is showing you. Um, so we, um, we have reached in effect, you kind of, you know, with the Byzantine generals problem, we have reached that decentralized speech protocol. And that is Bitcoin. You can, you know, depending on how you use that message, it is, you know, there's a value attached to it now, but we can have other types of messaging systems that may be a little more efficient for actual speech. And there's many examples of them. There's many decentralized systems that are up and coming, but uh, I would argue that a good 85% 85% of the population just believes at this point that Facebook is the internet and Twitter is the internet and, um, and have no desire to learn how anything works and are not being educated that way. And, and the education system is way out of whack with, with what we need to be teaching our children. You know, and in my mind, it's like, here's an old laptop, here's a Linux distro, install this shit and then we'll, and then we'll get email working and then we're going to talk about what you did. You've got to understand what the hell is happening. Otherwise, you will always be manipulated by technology. It, right. I, very early on, I read um, The Industrial Society and Its Future. Have you ever heard of this? 
I have not. No, I haven't. So it's a it's a paper by a, a, a Stanford professor, um, and it ex- and it explains exactly where it, it was written in the early '80s. Takes us all the way up to this point where the majority of young people have so much technology, and schooling has changed so drastically that most people entering the workforce are over socialized and somewhat undereducated in general life skills. The joke of this is that professor's name is Theodore Kaczynski, also known as the Unabomber. Um, so wow. just, just to point out that, you know, a document that accurately predicts the situation we're in now and where we might go. Now it's very fatalistic, but he was so determined to have people read this in the days before the internet that he went to drastic measures of blowing people up until the New York Times and the Washington Post published it, which they did. And even that didn't make a difference. He's rotting in jail and he's going to die soon um, uh, without his message really being universally understood. Uh, And he's not wrong. (laughs) A lot of the stuff that's in there is, and it's just technology. It didn't start with iPhones. This goes back to literally, you know, the industrial age. So we should at least know where the pitfalls are. Maybe we can stop some of the demise, which seems apparent. Well, that's super interesting. I never heard of that. I'm going to have to go read that paper. Um, let, let me ask something. Uh, just You mentioned that those boostograms. Mm-hmm. I guess that could be used also for audiences to engage more with the show, right? In terms of submitting yes. a question or requesting a shout out, something like that. So you do get more of that public square. Um, it's not just a the lot, podcast or broadcast audience. You can have feedback from audience. Um, we, we, we now have a podcast that can be done live. Of course, this is, you know, there's a lot of YouTube model in this with super chat. So we basically have recreated super chat only YouTube can't shut it down and MasterCard can't shut down your super chat and this instant settlement and you have the Satoshis in your wallet and if you have your, your shit together, then it really is in your wallet and it is yours. So that's exactly what it is. And we're now doing it for music. I'm not stopping at podcasting. Um, you know, music will work with the same system. Books will work with the system. Um, PDFs will work with the system. As long as people are asked to send back the value they received and people get into that mindset, which is inherently a Bitcoin-minded personality, Mm -hmm. it will work. You don't need the largest, the biggest, the most visibility anymore. Mm -hmm. You can easily make 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. Anybody, anybody who has a thousand people who are really motivated and interested in what they have to say and will support them Mm -hmm. with what we say, time, talent, treasure. So, you know, people will help you run servers. People help you create things or come up with ideas People will feedback their own experiences. And yes, a percentage of those people will also finance it. And it's guaranteed because every single time someone does it, it works. So cool. Does this map onto social media at all as well? Because, you know, the other big asymmetry, I think, in the digital age is that we do have these data monopolies like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, capturing all this human attention in one channel one repository and then monetizing all of it so it's and it seems like those network effects are so strong the only way you could ever break it is if individual users could somehow participate in the monetization of their attention 
is is there anywhere where this value for value maps onto um, a change in the social media landscape as it is today? Um, yeah, this is again, it comes down to uh, to value and and the the real problem is, I mean, it went very quickly and central decentralization to centralization to decentralization is just a fact of life. It's like the sun coming up and setting. It just happens over time, different cycles. Um, and, and we've seen, um, you know, it, let's go back to the, the first centralized system was America Online. And America Online was like, oh, man, this is the shit. It's everything. You've got mail. You know, all this stuff. You had your chat boards, you had kind of your off-color chat boards. And then... You keep hearing rooms. about this thing. That was yeah, the coolest yeah, man, thing you, ever we, in high school. But you kept hearing about this thing, like this internet thing, and it's kind of dangerous and it's hard to get on. But and then people are hearing about it, and then they said, "Hey, AOL, you know, we want a browser. We want a browser." And uh, nah, now you get no browser. Okay, well, we'll give you a browser, but you got to sign this waiver and click on all these things. So you go into the dangerous internet, and people went out on the internet where everything was fucked up and broken and burps and poops. And they loved it because this is the danger zone. And so then eventually, you know, uh, like now I want to be shepherded back. And then we've, you know, and we had GeoCities and GeoCities went away. And then we had MySpace and then MySpace went away. And we had blogs. And this, was, this of course, was great because the whole idea of hosting your own little web blog, um, you know, very quickly. Uh, and I made the same assumptions early on. You go to, well, this is... We could do this by numbers and how many people are watching and that's a CPM and now we can sell advertising. And um, from day one, almost tracking, tracking your behavior was part of the entire deal is not new. Uh, cookies were fantastic. Now we could store all kinds of shit in there that we knew about you. Um, and this, this is just the, it's what we're good at in America. You know, it's always advertising. We're one of the only countries that advertise drugs direct to, <laughs> direct to the patients on television. So, uh, you know, but that went way and beyond. And it has, it's, it, it's all now about tracking you. So it, a lot of this stuff, I think if people could get this, like, I love Zoom. I love all kinds of products and services. I love, I, Alexa is a great thing, you know, but I'm not going to, keep my, you know, give my shit to Jeff Bezos. Like if I could just buy it, like I use Neva as a search engine, N-E-E-V-A. Why? Because I pay him $5 a month and, and I know they're not tracking it. They'll never sell it. Now, could they be lying? Yeah, maybe. But I know that I'm, that I'm gonna have more chance of being kind of private about my business than with Google. Um, so, you know, we're either going to have to, that's the education part. And so it's the same when people say, well, you have to get educated about Bitcoin. This has to start way younger than, than the 30-year-olds. You know, we got, we got to, we, you know, people having kids now, make these choices now to teach your children, show them what's under the hood, expose them to certain things because we've been played. I mean, there's a whole generation that are just fucked because of the, the algos and the, the psychological damage that is being done but also to older people, you know, just getting sucked into, you know, to screen time, man. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, and, you know, now we're, we're going to have kind of, I guess, a, a metaverse second life like experience where, you know, we're going to be further removed from the world, you know, it's just like uh, balance in all kinds of things, but it, it, we're, we're losing some of that, I think. And Bitcoin, um, it really helped me realize a lot of different things. And it came at a great moment when 
when the world was upside down. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. And then you start talking to people and they're, they're, they're mostly 20, 28 to 38, you know, it's like young, a lot of men, but uh, young people like, oh yeah, you know, you guys got a pretty raw fucking deal with what happened in the past uh, uh, three decades. So yeah, if I can help with any of this Bitcoin shit and podcasting to make it better moving forward. So what, what pops up? Texas Slim. Texas Slim comes from the panhandle, sixth generation rancher, Texan, rodeo guy, broke every bone in his body, decided to do something different. Um, but he also put himself through UT, well, not, you know, just by um, auditing classes. He went, to, he went to school without paying for it for, for four or five years. Uh, worked in a couple of uh, Austin-based uh, technology companies, but he's a rancher. He, he's a rancher. He's a rodeo guy. Um, and, and he, he hooked up through, I think Marty Bent who connected to me. Um, he says like, Adam, you know, what you're doing for podcasting, I'm doing for beef because people don't understand they're not eating food and, and the American rancher is under attack and it's going to get really bad. Now, coincidentally, we see in today's news, indeed the Dutch rancher, the Dutch cow farmer is under attack, under attack by the Green Deal, as they call it in the, in the European Union, under attack by ESG, under attack by the very industry that should be protecting us, which is the food industry, which is the food processors, only a couple of big food processors in the world. And they're all moving towards soy and plant-based protein and bullshit. And, and so, he's, so you know, now he's putting together these networks where you buy through the OSHI app, O-S-C-H-I, which is a Bitcoin, uh, you know, it's a wallet. Uh, and, a, and a search uh, engine for food directly from the producer. So you want to get some, a quarter cow or, you know, half a cow or something like that. And it's all in beautiful cuts and you can go meet the rancher and look at the cows and hear about the grass and hear about the history. And there's no Monsanto on any of this shit. It's, you know, the, um, the, they have their own processing facility. It's clean, which means there's no chemicals used. It's like, the way they used to do it, vinegar or whatever their process is, and ship it directly to you. You pay in Bitcoin, um, and that's the connector. So right now, could it be done with Visa? Yeah, but it connects these communities. So now we've connected podcasting. We've connected beef. Um, you know, now we have pork. The pork guys are coming in. Everyone's going to start coming in, and it, it may not have the big utility or a huge advantage over Venmo or anything else, but it does really, because you get that immediate connection and it's pure and it's honest and there's proof of work involved in the payment and there's proof of work involved in the product, which is, you know, in the beef case, you can go and look at it. So this shit excites me. So now we can't necessarily change the political landscape that easily, um, but we do have to, and that's part of what my generation did wrong. It's like, Looking who was in city council or the school board. That's clearly the losers who couldn't get a better gig. And, you know, now like, holy shit, what have these guys been doing for 15, 20 years? So, so, you know, yeah, take an interest in politics at your local level in your local community. But believe me, it won't be such a bad idea to know where to get some food and, and what, the, what the nutrition value of that food really is. Because, you know, we're going to see some disruptions in things. Yeah, I love the way you said that proof of work in the product and the payment. This is back to that 
the symmetry of value basically and it, it makes so much sense yes sir symmetry and there's also of value. the um you know you mentioned this earlier too when you meet bitcoiners even if you've the first time meeting them just the fact that you're both you've both gone across the rubicon i guess for bitcoin and to and understanding it and understanding its values and integrating it into your life there's almost like this immediate camaraderie yeah just like hey you know yeah like you just there's no small talk or chit chat. You're just kind of already established in your you can jump ahead the symmetry of your value systems. So then it's just mm -hmm. on to like enjoying one another's company. How, let me ask and that you, crosses boundaries of age and gender and sexuality. Yes. And it crosses all these, these, these boundaries, right? It's almost like a universal nationality or something, right? It really is its yeah. own religion or its own country it's it would be creepy if it wasn't so cool what bitcoin really does i mean if it was a, it was any kind of secret decoder ring we'd be arrested and thrown <laughs> in the brig you know it's a fucking cult but right. because you you can just say well here it is you know this is the thing it's like well i can't blame them for all kind of being into that yeah exactly it's like we're sort of akin to the gold bugs but with much better technology the gold bugs yeah. always had this kind of yeah. common value system too but they just you know, gold doesn't work. So now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy nominated journalist bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space. And the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out Hard Money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I want to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible. And then you hope they will cover your bill. And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. I want to ask you, so I'm sorry, you mentioned the B franchise. That's the Oshi app? O-S-C-H-I, yeah, Oshi. So, uh, bit, um, oh. there's some of the Beef Initiative. If you look for Beef Initiative, okay. um, you'll find Texas Slim. He's all over Twitter and uh, he's always in everyone's uh, tweet stream. Uh, so, so he started with, uh, I think it's uh, Michael, I can't remember from Oshi um, started to, you know, this, so this app is basically, you know, you're anywhere you are, where can I find a rancher near me? Where can I, you know, we have people selling uh, their honey, 
mm. people selling their maple syrup, you know, all direct to consumer. Um, and luckily, certainly in the state of Texas, but uh, in most states, if you're, as long as you don't want to be sold in, uh, you know, the, the, the supermarket, then you can, you know, have, you know, you can process your beef and sell it directly to consumer, um, you know, without huge FDA uh, and involvement and government overreach, mm. which is why you need to go and see what the fuck your rancher is doing, obviously. Right. Make sure that it's on the up and up, you know, but that's, you know, I had a weird experience this 4th of July. I was, I, I, uh, the day before I, um, I was doing my own podcast, podcasting 2.0 and um, Stephen B who makes the CurioCaster app, He's on the show and I said, give me something, you know, read me, read, read to me so I can set your levels. And he starts reading this passage about January, about January, uh, the 4th of July. And see how that's fucking embedded in my mind. January 6th wants to come out, even though I'm saying 4th of July, that's <laughs> fucked up. Thank you, mainstream media. So 4th of July. And, and he's reading this thing like, wow, that's really beautiful, man. Where'd you get that from? He says, from, from uh, uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder. It's the little town on the prairie. It's the, one of the follow-ups to Little House on the Prairie. And, you know, which was a big TV show back in the, in the mid to late seventies. And of course, a, a series of books. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go read that. So I read the little house in the prairie and, you know, which is only 120 years ago. Uh, like these mofos went across the, across the United States in a covered wagon with two horses, three kids, some flour, a little bit of, uh, you know, brown sugar, some coffee, some tobacco, and a fucking axe, and settled, you know, and made towns, and, and, but also how value for value, it's in our blood, brother. Like, I'm going to go help you dig your well, then you dig my well, and we're going to do a barn raising together. Barn raising, the whole community comes out, and everybody who has their right. skill contributes their skill. So a little bit like the Citadel, but that is the, that truly is where America comes from, and I think that and still permeates through um, that is still something that draws people universally from around the world to be here. And um, when I look at Bitcoin, you know, we have, if you look at the, uh, uh, the Declaration of Independence, you know, it literally right there opens up by saying, you know, from time to time, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, from time to time, you know, people will say, fuck this shit, we got to go start our own fucking thing right now. It was in nicer words at the time. But we have that right. So I don't want to disrupt the world, but I don't mind building a parallel universe that we actually control, that no one can shut down, just in case we can't figure out that shit over here. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, that, yeah. that's, I don't know of any other way. Everything else seems a little futile. I think, you know, systems collapse upon themselves over time. We're seeing the pharmaceutical industry is going to go through a horrible time soon. Um, you know, we also are great at suing people. So there's going to be all kinds of shit coming down in the next 10, 20, maybe 50 years. I don't know. You know, the CDC is going to collapse. There's going to be all kinds of, you know, a great reset. I think everyone knows that it's coming. It's just when the dust clears, you know, are we, what pole are you going to clamor onto? Yeah, it's either, I mean, this is so wide open. We're either going to get this kind of, play for one world government through the wef thing or we're going to have been some trying this of... for a long time brother they've been trying one world government has been that's what nato and un and all this mm -hmm. stuff is about you know what i find what i miss in all the bitcoin conversation is the obvious look at the european union i was in the european union uh when the lisbon treaty 
No, actually, I was in the UK, but I, I witnessed a lot of the preamble. And the Lisbon Treaty came in. That was kind of going to be their constitution. And already, and I, because and I, we had internet, so I'm reading this thing. I'm like, man, there's a lot more shit in here than they're talking about on TV, which was really two things. It's going to be great. Together, we're stronger. We'll never have a European army, which now, by the way, is totally being set up. Um, we're not going to need passports anymore. Yay, we can just travel and work in one country or the other. And we're all going to have the same money. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, that's cool, man. Well, the inflation that happened around, I guess it was, when did it really kick in? 2005, I think, when they, when they all switched to the euro. Fuck. I mean, a, co- a, co- a cup of coffee doubled overnight in the Netherlands. And people are like, what? And of course, they had it all set up and they already had the money printing going. They already had the incentives to make sure that people's salaries caught up a little bit, to, you know, so that it wouldn't be too much of a shock. But it was rough there for many years. There was a lot of griping. A lot of people said, fuck it, the Germans, like, we're going back to the Deutschmark. You know, we don't like this. The Dutch were going back to the Gilder. Um, and so, of course, being the complacent socialist that most of Europe is, you know, like, ah, whatever, it's fine. They, we don't have to change money at the border anymore. We don't need a passport. Uh, and now they're all in this crisis together. No one, ha- I mean, we saw it. Ask the Greeks. How'd that go when you couldn't inflate your own money or control your own money supply? How'd that go? Well, you got austerity. And that's going to happen now again. And, you know, I don't know if people will ever catch on. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how cultural, historical precedents can just keep people in the same mindset through over and over again through generations. Uh, and I'm so happy that uh, at least I see what's going on. I can make other choices, which anybody can do. No one has to do what I'm doing, you know, but, but you can. Yeah, it's easier now than it's ever been to opt out of this nonsense. And I agree. I, I often wonder how we keep getting back into the situation where we think we can print money to solve problems. Like it's never fucking worked once. It just destroys everything. <laughs> It yeah, does. we a couple of generations pass, you know, we'll go through the pain, we'll swear we'll never do it again. There was um there have been a number of attempts at this. You know, at one point, I think this is in the 1600s Peel's law in the UK. I could have the name or, or date wrong, but they basically swore to have a fixed money supply. You know, it was like there's 15 million pounds forever. We're never gonna print another one. And then mm-hmm. sure enough, you know, two decades later, there's some economic crisis and they print a bunch of money. So we've been trying to do Bitcoin. For a long time it's been like uh an ideal we could never get to and now we've finally arguably forever i guess yeah i mean seeing that printing money is kind of a bug of civilization that collapses the operating system over time (laughs) to have money you can't print it's like a permanent fix to that bug and we've just never had it so um yeah it's really really interesting and a really big deal and i like how you said that in America, like being on the frontiers in our blood, that's what, that's how we got here. You know, the mm-hmm. people that came here and then the people that completed manifest destiny and, you know, inhabited the, you know, the sea, the shining sea and all that. Like we are frontiers people in our blood and our, mm-hmm. in our upbringing, um, in our history. But now the frontier, you know, we've already mapped the whole world. So now the frontier is digital. And so maybe that's why we 
the United States and Americans does seem to be kind of the last bastion of hope for the free world, free speech, free society. Um, specifically, you know, I'm from Tennessee, so I'm very, I have a high, great deal of affinity for the American South. And the whole time we were going through this pandemic nonsense, nobody believed it there. You know, it's like Texas. <laughs> People like no one. Well, Austin was pretty much bought in. I'll tell you the Austin bought in heavy. Yeah. There's the bluer places were a little more bought in, but most of the red places just saw it for what it is, which is just Mm -hmm. a a fucking scam. Basically Mm -hmm. better term. I want to ask you this. So this, I often kind of do deep dives on this show and I know you're real big on value for value. So I'd love to hear, this is kind of a nebulous term. We use the word value a lot. We use it for you know morals and economics and all these different domains. How do you define value? Yeah, this is well. This is a, it's a very personal question, um, and uh, you know, some will say, "Well, that's just barter," and that may be true. Uh, but I think in order to understand value, you need to understand yourself first, and and your own time preferences, which is, and I, I don't always want to bring all in life back to Bitcoin, but I have noticed this really makes a difference in my life. Like I can either do my daily cost average, you know, and buy a hundred dollars of Bitcoin or whatever, whatever my number is on a daily basis, uh, or I could go buy this thing. Um, and I think what every Bitcoiner notices is that it somehow just understanding it, seeing price action over time, understanding what you really have, then you know, then you start to think like, oh, what is inflation really? And then you, you know, someone says, well, take a look at this chart, and here's all the money that was created in the past two years, and then it's like, oh, okay. And so then you start to not buy shit. You start to, and when you start to not buy shit, it's like, why did I not buy that shit? Because I don't care about that shit as much as the other stuff I do or have. And then it's magical. You start to pay attention to other things and, and the world opens up uh, for some uh, religion even comes uh, back mm-hmm. into their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I may, you know, there's, I'm open to other things here. So it's a, um, so to determine value, once you understand what you find valuable, you're there, you know? So uh, that's what helps because now I'm like, well, not just, is a hundred dollars worth this, uh, this widget that I want to buy? Or is it really worth the time I'm going to spend fucking around with that widget? So this, that now, and of course it's much easier when you're 57 to say, Oh man, I don't have no much time left. What am I going to do with my time? Am I going to waste it on something? Or am I going to do something that I really enjoy doing or find productive or find fulfilling? So that's what, and, and that's why value is not just monetary. Um, and why I always view value as time, talent, or treasure, anything. And that's the same for a nonprofit, like anything you can give us in your time, volunteering in your talent, you know, which could be recruiting. It could be getting other people involved. It could be hosting benefits or your actual treasure, you know, and all of those are of equal importance. You've got to have all of them in your life. So when uh, we just moved out to Fredericksburg, and I asked the, my septic guys, like, hey, who can cut this grass? I said, well, you got to call my, my guy, Eric. He works for me five days a week, but he wants to buy a, a mower. And uh, ask, he comes out with a shitty ass mower and uh, he's working his ass off for hours and hours and hours, and, which he could have done in three hours, you know, with a, with a better machine. And, uh, and we hadn't discussed price. And they said, uh, 
so how much is it? And he says, well, you know, I really wasn't sure. And he was really lowballing it. I'm like, no, bro, this is a $450 job you just did. So that's what you're getting now. And next time we'll talk about it. And so when you start to live that way, um, uh, now stores, of course, you know, a store puts a price on, et cetera, but people bargain all the time in stores too. But it's really, it, it, it's not so much about the product, but about the time and about the effort and the, that someone put into it, which is why handcrafted stuff is, also, is often valued much higher. Um, although in still, and I think the 1.0 consumerist world, you know, stuff with a logo on it is valued higher. So this is right. a big switch we've got to make. And you can't make that switch on mass. You can't tell everybody Nike is really a worthless fucking piece of shit shoe. You're just captured by, uh, you know, by whoever is behind it. Or, you know, I love yay too, but you know, Adidas doesn't mean it's not the most important shoe in the world. Um, Taking people out of that mindset, you have to remove the the bug in the system, and that's that is in in general media. Uh, so it is mainstream media, it is television, it is news, it is print, it is books, it is everything. You can't. You can certainly remove some of the things you might. You can only remove it from your own life. Basically, you can only remove it from your own life, and um, so you know. Uh, that doesn't really answer your question of how do you determine value other than you have to know yourself. No, that's great. It's a great answer. And it, it is ultimately, you know, what you choose to do, right? It's like the thing that whatever, whatever your action is aimed at is like what you're valuing, but it's, it's just a difficult concept to define. Uh, I want, I don't know if you've, you've probably heard of the book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yes. By Robert yes. Percy. Someone just just showed this to me. Yes. Okay. Of, of course, I've I I think I read it or parts of it years and years ago. But yes. Well, I've got. I really think if you know of that book or you've read it and you enjoyed it, Robert Persig, the author, the late Robert Persig, he's passed away now, but he wrote another book about fifteen years later called Lila L I L A. Uh, and the subtitle is An Inquiry into Morals. Um, it's one of the best books I've ever read. We did a series on it on the show. And I just think you in particular would be interested because he makes this, he's making a claim that material reality doesn't exist, that everything is actually made of value. So um, it's kind of a big, big idea it's to a get big concept, around. Yeah. He's a, I mean, it's written brilliantly and he, he does, does a great job for arguing that point, but, um, that would also align with like, you know, some old religion and wisdom tradition that it's ultimately we live in a moral universe and it's our values and our decisions and our actions that matter more than anything. It's not, it's not like we're just in this materialist universe where humanity doesn't matter. We're just on some rock in the middle of nowhere doing our thing it's like there's there does seem to be something important um to human consciousness and and this enterprise so anyways i don't know why that came up but just the idea of value being fundamental i thought you'd find really compelling yeah and i and thank you for that and i definitely will uh will look up that book um um you know the united states america um, you know, we're learning a lot of things right now. We're going to, we're about to learn what the 10th amendment is and what states rights are. And, you know, this is 
right now people are losing their minds and flipping out and, you know, and calling, you know, the Supreme Court justice, all kinds of names. And, you know, it seems like there's very little civics that has been taught to, to people, um, but also a blatant lying as to what, what the actual details are of an overturning of Roe v. Wade or an EPA decision or a decision about a constitutional carry of, of arms. Um, so we've lost important things or we are in jeopardy of losing important things in the United States. Um, without a doubt, I think uh, we're, we're fundamentally based in Christianity and religion and God, um, which is, I can understand where people don't want that forced on them anymore. I don't think it ever was really forced, but you have to still read the constitution in that context. That's, that's just, that's a kind of a fundamental thing. And what we really lost is the rule of law. And because now law can be interpreted in so many ways. I mean, just go look at tax law. I mean, it's, it's, it's all bullshit. It's all oh, workarounds yeah. for every individual tax law thing is a workaround and case law and all this stuff. But Bitcoin has one fundamental kind of law, you know, and the protocol is what it is. And if we could latch onto that, um, you know, the older you get, the more you see that money really does control everything. And there's plenty of very influential and rich people who have said, Hey, just let me, let me control the money. I don't give a shit about anything else. I want to control the money. I'm running the money. Look into who runs the money. Look in what is money. Look up the history of money, the history of money we still use today. Um, how many clams did that cost? This is not a mistake. This is not just a joke that came out of the um, you know, the, some kind of uh, slang dictionary. No, we used to trade actual clam shells. That was money. You know, um, uh, what's the, what, what other uh, examples do shelling out? This is another, I'm just yeah. shelled out a hundred bucks for that. That was based upon shells again. Mm. So these things are not that far in our, in our distant past. In fact, even the gold standard was with us up until the, the early seventies. You know, these are things that people should be educated about or should at least maybe think, yeah, you know, since this, this, everyone's talking smack about this inflation and how does it really work? And is it really just Putin? You know, meh. you know, and you can find very easily, um, very easily. It was great to see Ray Dalio, who you wrote a nice open letter to, but you know, when he explains uh, inflation, he's just honest and just, oh, this is how it works. And he's so clear. And so, um, uh, illegible, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Oh, mm -hmm. so everything else is just bullshit. All the bullshit falls away. There's more and more of that. And people who care, um, will, will learn, you know? So I th what I'm seeing is, you know, we're not gonna have a civil war in, in this country. We're not gonna, we're not gonna divide among geographic lines, but we are in cyberspace. We are in the digital realm. We are, and, right. and it's interesting because I think the Bitcoiners will live much more in the physical realm because they have their digital realm sorted out. Right. You know, I'm not distracted. I'm not being fucked by it. I'm not being uh, controlled uh, and it's utilitarian and it's comfortable. And I have places I can go and things I can do within measure. And I still want to go meet up with some people and, you know, just learn other things or meet someone else. Yeah, I love that framing that we, well, yeah, once you get into Bitcoin, you get this um, very pronounced peace of mind in a way. Like I, my, 
I went from this world where I was managing a lot of different investments and trying to game the market and, you know, all these complicated things to now all I do is just buy Bitcoin every day. I buy more when the price dips and I hold it forever. And it's like all my, I've liberated all of my, my mind space to focus on other things in life. So yeah, I spent a lot more time in physical reality. Now yeah. the digital reality is sorted out. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really it because it is sorted out. You know, it's like, you know, your tools, you know, what you need, you know, and, and I think even I disagree that dating has to be online. I mean, the two things I think are bad about the WFH revolution, which by the way, the Dutch are now discussing to make a, a human right, the right to work from home. Hmm. Uh, oh yeah, this is great. Um, if you, so here's my recommendation. If you want to find a great partner in life, find work that you can go to where other people come. Uh, if you want to get ahead in your, in your organization, if you, uh, if you want to, you know, make a career or advance, or if you think it's important, go in, go in, if there's, or find a place where you can be in person. There's nothing, there's no way the digital realm can deliver nuance of face-to-face um and not and it's not just seeing each other it's smell it's uh, there's all kinds of nuance that yeah. that that fills a room um i mean there's so much opportunity right now basically for for everybody in the things that digital says they're going to solve for us yeah you i mean just the energetics of being around other humans you know we're it's a whole different wavelength of experience to have in person. Literally a wavelength. You yeah, nailed it. It, right. it is because you're communicating and we're all radiating. It's all light. And yes. you're actually getting a very uh, uh, lossy, uh, <laughs> compressed right. version of the, of the frequencies when you're looking at Zoom. You, know? yeah. you literally are missing resolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lower resolution depiction of reality and it's just not mm-hmm. the same and there's a lot lost in translation so to speak um i want to echo back something you said earlier too that tax law is total bullshit um i actually have a master's degree in taxation so i studied oh CRS really tax code and it's exactly Thanks. as you described it's just this they pass one law some lobby group or interest mm-hmm. interest doesn't like it so they pass some retort and the whole law is just this like back and forth of trying to, you know, preserve some special interest or get some exception to the law. It's a disaster. And, 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 and you have to, and you, you can never really be, you know, if you're rich, you can fight bullshit because you have a lot more right than wrong in any tax dispute, but you've got to mount a jury and lawyers yeah. and, oh, yeah. and then you're just taking advantage of, you know, you can, no one can really, you know, for a hundred thousand dollar dispute, you know, you, you could spend a quarter of a million, you know, it's like, right. uh, okay. So right. just people throw their hands up. Yeah, exactly. And um, it just doesn't make sense at all. Like my big takeaway from working in public accounting and seeing that belly of the beast up close is how much human intellectual capital, talent, energy, ingenuity are we just throwing away? Because you have a Wasting, lot of re- just really burning cycles. tax attorneys and tax accountants all just like trying to figure out how to gamify their clients' interests within this really arbitrary, overly complex system. I'm like, if that, mm-hmm. if all that shit just went away and it was just a flat tax or no tax or whatever, then you'd have all this intellectual capital like come back into the marketplace and solve some real problems for people other than just, we're like playing a game that we created that just wastes our time and it, it doesn't make any sense. There's no, 
there's nothing intuitive about the tax code, nothing at all. It's purely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's so damn pointless, I guess is my big point. And it's become, it's become, you know, such a quagmire that, as I mentioned, Dave Jones, he works at a, uh, an accountant firm, like high end, I guess, you know, small in Alabama. Um, every year someone comes in, you know, from like, you know, the McKinsey Tax Institute of America, whatever the fuck they are, and explains all the changes. And this poor woman literally said, I, I can't, I don't actually understand. At this point, we tell our clients, you have to go talk to someone else because we don't understand this particular rule. And it's like the 1099 rule, you know, it's like all these, like, what, how does it, what, how, what does it work? You know, when you get into like that, like that's a great example, the infrastructure bill, and 1099s, if, if, you know, what is a broker? You know, when are you really uh, exchanging? You know, because we have to look at all that too. It's like, you know, I, I want to keep providing, you know, we provide a, a replicable, but at least we're the ones providing the service right now. So, you know, we have certain things. We got to make sure that just pointing someone towards uh, a lightning wallet ID, that that's not illegal or that, you know, that's not a, a taxable right. event. I mean, this is crazy. And so- that's how things eventually uh, markets are shaped. But this time, I don't know if you've noticed it because my job is really just to, my talent in general is I pick hits. My whole life, whether it's top 40 records, it's certain technologies, it's people. I've always been good at hiring, not, not 100%, but good, um, and firing. Uh, so I see these trends and I, I see two things popping up the new money system or the central bank, digital currencies, what the new reserve currency, whatever it's going to be, because something has to happen. Even uh, Powell has said, well, there can be more than one reserve currency. Okay. Um, uh, and everyone's talking about it has to be commodity based. It'll be commodity based. And then I hear Gensler coming out of the woodworks and saying, Bitcoin is really a commodity. Everything else is uh, is a security and is kind of, you know, is something you can invest in or not. But, and somehow I think that there's, there's like a moment, we may be in a, in a state of flux or something where these two thoughts are coming together. Um, And the market, of course, will, will do that event. It'll, it'll go, I guess, the right way eventually if it's free enough. But I feel, I feel like we're getting towards a point where enough people are going, ah, okay, now we see that maybe this whole crypto thing was not, shouldn't really include Bitcoin. Everyone's kind of singling Bitcoin out now and saying, well, that's, that's a little different. Yeah, it's got problems, you know, killing the earth, which of course misses the whole point. But I'm feeling that that's happening. This shitcoin shake out or meltdown, whatever you want to call it, um, is I think great. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, and I hope it happens. That everything melts faster and faster, because I just want that one thing to stand above it. Like, oh, here's Bitcoin. Oh, that that, that turned to shit. Well, it's down in price. Yeah, but, and then you can start rebuilding and filling in the blanks. And really, you know, a lot of this uh, negativity was all started by Elon Musk. I mean, he's he's really the one that that started to bring ESG into Bitcoin speak, and you know. It was like, whoa, it, it, but if he's the worst enemy we're going to have to deal with, then um, I think we did okay. So complicated with Mr. Elon, though, because he's also holding whatever, a couple billion dollars of Bitcoin. He's an agent um, of change and he works for governments. I, that's, that's my view. He is, 
um, he's an agent of change yeah. and, and he does a very good job, but he's going to destroy Twitter. Um, Twitter, of course, was out of control. Whoever controls Twitter can control elections, can control, and that, not just for America. How many do you think Swaziland isn't calling uh, uh, someone over at Twitter and saying, hey, uh, guys, we've got to talk about stuff. So I think it was better to destroy it and to expose it for the fraud that it is, which is filled with bots and shit that is, mm-hmm. you know, it's being dismantled at publicly in a very ugly way, which I think will also hurt Facebook and other um, advertising based social media companies that claim to have huge audiences and reach, et cetera. Not that they don't, but they really have been lying. And I know because I, I was in that business, I know exactly how it goes. Right. You know, scam traffic, everything is a scam. Uh, ultimately, life's a scam. <laughs> you know, you know, that's the, one of the shocking realizations, I think, of getting into Bitcoin is that you realize how much almost everything is a scam to some scam. extent, right? There's yeah. a, someone's on the take, no matter what organization you're involved with. Yeah. Be the fucking, you know, Red Cross, whatever. Oh, my goodness. The biggest sellers of blood in the universe, the Red yeah. Cross. They're all, everybody's on the take. And again, that's why Bitcoin is so unique and important. It's like you can't be on the take inside of Bitcoin. I mean, you can you can do whatever with Bitcoin, but inside of the Bitcoin network, there's nothing you can do to game the system. Right? Nope. You can't twist it. You can't bend it. You can't change it. So, But outside, and that's exactly what we saw is this entire... Um, you know, a very good friend of mine uh, is a former New York banker, uh, worked uh, for a big bank, and he retired early, if you could ever retire as a banker, uh, to move. He wanted his, his boys to grow up in Austin. He wanted a different life for them than the Upper East Side uh, type lifestyle. Now, they still vacation in on the island, of course, in the Hamptons. But, you know, and and they, you know, it's like, the, this, this is a group of people, you know, they go from Texas and they... They will make sure they have a, a car with New York license plates because they don't want to be seen as the Texans who flew their cars into to the Hamptons to drive around all summer. So, you know, that level, um, uh, I'm sure he's very wealthy. I don't know. We, but, and he's definitely more liberal than I am, um, but we have a very good relationship. And he fucking hates Bitcoin. He hates it with such a passion that makes me so happy. <laughs> but if you hate something so bad, it, it must be such a, such a super, uh, super threat. And I tell you, they live on a different frequency. Um, now, we can, we can perfectly tune our frequencies towards each other and communicate and have a nice dinner. You know, the, his wife, my wife, the four of us, we hang out. Um, we'll go wakeboarding together. You know, we'll disagree on some things. But that whole, everything is a scam. It, and you can just see the wheels are always turning. And I think I've kind of checked out of that. So I'm not interested in evaluating. I don't want to have to evaluate things all the time. Right. You know, is it real? Oh, what is this? What is this? And the more you're able to extract yourself from that, which for me was also extracting myself from the city. Um, wow, man, does shit open up when, when you pull back? Uh-huh. And then... You know, are there scams? Yeah, of course. There's lots of people who scam, but it's much easier to see the distraction isn't there. Um, and we, and ultimately, I realized that we live by two different standards. Uh, he lives by the fiat standard. I live by the Bitcoin standard. We can interact perfectly well. We can, you know, 
we just don't exchange money very well with each other. <laughs> That's incompatible. Yeah. No, it's such a good way to put it. Um, it yeah. The, one of the most interesting things about Bitcoin, I guess, is that it, it does seem to change you, right? There, there are significant psychological changes somehow by just of being just by using this technology, but not just using it. You also, all of the rabbit holes that it leads you down seems to be transformational on most people. And it, and the changes vary, but they tend to slant positive, right? People get more community oriented, family oriented, health and fitness, wellness, all of those things. So um, the idea of Bitcoin triggering personal transformation is something that's super interesting. So you mentioned, um, I mean, we can, we could wrap it up here. Actually, you mentioned that, you know, we lost rule of law in this country or are losing rule of law, which is really important. Sure. I would throw in there too, that it's our property rights that are getting violated. Cause one thing, another thing people don't understand is when you print money, you're only violating property rights. It may seem like a good thing. Hey, we ran out of money. Let's print some more. But what's actually happening is you're stealing from those depending on the dollar to hold its hold its value and you're allocating that wealth to people that hold assets so they can get that new money first so it's just a violation inflation is just a violation of property rights which i think drives people insane actually even if they don't understand it it's like turns out people don't like to be robbed who knew yeah what do you and we mentioned this earlier too what's going on in the netherlands right now farmers resisting this esg enforcement they're blocking international highways there's fishermen blocking ports with their boats they're trying to basically- Dude, they're spraying they're spraying shit on the government buildings. <laughs> I mean, they're going all out. Uh, don't mess with farmers anywhere, I'd say. How do you I guess what's your opinion on what's going on up there? Is this something like a Canadian trucker convoy that the government's going to break up eventually or do you think this is a a legitimate line of resistance? And then how do you recommend the rest of the world? How do we resist this bullshit? I mean, other than just buying and holding Bitcoin and becoming sovereign ourselves, like is there is there is there a more active path we need to take to assert our independence in the world? Oh, um, okay. So first let's understand the problem. So the problem is uh, a new world order has been determined and that world order is based upon a different source of energy. And uh, this is not new. It's been going on for decades. This has been set up for a long time. People play long games in finance. Um, and so the whole idea is to discredit uh, petroleum-based uh, energy sources, uh, to discredit, um, you know, obviously, uh, coal, so the even raw materials, to discredit uh, nuclear, although that will make a predictable resurgence out of necessity. Um, and all of these have been done by media. Um, and all of it has been well-documented in the certainly the past 25, 30 years going back to um, Vice President Gore's uh, you know, Inconvenient Truth, uh, but also uh, certainly in the Netherlands, it was great to see how the windmills went up. Now, the country has a history of windmills, but not for a power generation, but for water management, um, but also uncovering you know, nothing that makes the mainstream very long. You know, who's really owning these windmills? They're usually all their own little LLCs. And then you go see what other LLCs are connected to it. So that's when you start to see the scam. So that scam is very powerful. All the money has since uh, an inconvenient truth, all research, everything has gone into proving 
that uh, fossil fuels bad. Remember we had peak oil too. I was always excited about peak oil because then we couldn't worry about it. it one day we just won't have any more. So it'll, we'll have to figure it out. And that didn't happen. We don't talk about peak oil anymore. So um, that push has been made and it's been made somewhat haphazardly because, you know, obviously renewables are uh, certainly they work, but you have downtime. So how do you cover that? What are you going to cover it with? Well, if you sell all your coal and your gas uh, and you close down your uh, nuclear plants, you're going to wind up with very expensive costs and, uh, and problems. And so that's the, that's what Germany saw. Uh, but again, remember that um, the political system in the European countries that are members of the European Union changed dramatically. This is why the United Kingdom got out where they had Brexit. They said, no, 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 we don't want to be a part of this. Now they still are to a, a large degree, but they do have their own money. So that, that's, the, that's the number one thing. Um, what is happening globally along with this climate change message is we're assigning blame. And we're assigning blame to cows now. So cow farts and burps are what's killing the world. And, um, and there's a lot of money going into proving this thesis. Uh, uh, be damned what people eat. Uh, you know, that would be something. And honestly, just turn on the American television and all you see is shit. It's shit food, uh, shit junk, 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 and then medication that you're going to have to stop the symptoms with. I mean, it's very obvious that we're sick. You know, 47% of America is obese. So yeah, you're going to have a lot of people die when you have a flu, even if you don't call it COVID, whatever, you know, even if it doesn't come from a lab, people are sick. So um, the new asset class, have you heard of the new asset class? Because this is, this is the big one, I think. So the new asset class is literally in quotes, new asset class, uh, are financial instruments. You'll see it first with NFTs where you literally are owning pieces of the, the, the air around a field. You know, you're gonna try and cut up everything, everything. And you won't own it, but you'll get some carbon credits for investing in it and some money will go somewhere else. I mean, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but this will, be a, a, this will be the next asset class where people make a lot of money. And along with that comes a complete uh, management of the food chain uh, already cows are, you know, hooked up to sensors and, you know, measured exactly what goes into the cattle, you know, just keeping them with enough viability, you know, kill dates are all managed in, in a very methodical way, not when the cow was ready or healthy or, you know, or just ready, you know, ready. There's, there's certain moments. Um, so uh, all of that is being managed down to essentially you're going to eat fucking bugs. Uh, because the cows are no good, animal protein, no good. We can give you protein from uh, bugs, which is absolutely true. Um, of course, we're missing a lot of the protein that is an animal protein, a lot of nutrients. Um, and so in the Netherlands, which uh, in the early days, they actually were, you know, they were the leading of the world order at the time. They had all the colonies, they had the East India Company, um, they invented the really the stock market trading, you know, the, or really the first, um, you know, uh, puts and calls. You know, we right, had the big right. tulip thing, and so we had the first, uh, you know, big shitcoin collapse, I guess, from yeah, uh, the yeah. tulip shitcoin collapse. Uh, and then they went agrarian, you know, so it was flowers, flowers, cheese, milk, dairy products. And over time, uh, with the European project, which is, goes back to you know the 
I mean, it goes back to 1945, I guess, or, you know, maybe even yeah, around that time. Um, they started to change and you see less and less cows. Everything is built inside, is vertical. They, they have become the leading manufacturers of soy and plant-based text and ta- texture and taste products. That's Royal DSM. They used to be a chemical company. <clears throat> I think they may be still publicly traded. And they don't make that anymore. No, when you buy impossible meat or I can't believe that's not a fucking burger or whatever it is that you're eating, the taste and texture is what these cats make. So they are, the, the Netherlands has sold out long, long ago. No, just no one told the farmers. And so now it's like, well, you know, we've got to move more towards these products. And you can do it one of two ways. Either we're just not going to process your beef anymore, which is where the control lies. Um, or we're just going to take your farm away under a kind of eminent domain. Mm. And, oh, by the way, we're going to do this uh, within the next eight years. So these are, you know, family farms that have been around four centuries. Amsterdam is 750 years old. I mean, these Mm. things have been around for a long time. And now, oh, no, no, you're just done. You know, learn to code is basically the message. So there are people, you know, farmers... um, for people who have been around, it's a great career. You know, people who farm don't do it because they're stupid. They do it because they love it. It's what they do. Right. They love providing this. It's creative. It's working with nature. There's a whole bunch of reasons for it. Um, and it's good inherently for, for human beings. But farmers are, you know, now, and sadly, as of course I follow this very closely in the Netherlands, it's not the first time they protested. This is the third time. Um, and now it's just getting a little more heated. Cops were shooting at farmers. And I mean, I saw videos like, what are these bunch of fucking cowboys now in home? Mm-hmm. This is unheard of in the Netherlands. Right. This is not nor- normal. Um, but the farmers will not give up. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the Dutch people will stand behind them for long because now they've cut off distribution centers. So now food's not getting into supermarkets. Now people are like, and this is a very Dutch, it's, they call it um, uh, Puritan, you know, it's like, that's kind of the, just, it's the Dutch culture. It's like, uh, you know, don't be that blade of grass that sticks above the rest because you get your head chopped off. So mm-hmm. I'm not really going to speak too loudly about this. And, you know, like, hey, you know, I like you guys protesting. I agree with you, but I, I still need my fake meat. So, you know, stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the same, you know, they allowed for, the Netherlands allowed for, allowed the people allowed to be locked down. They had curfews, curfews. They had not been a curfew since World War II. You know, like a curfew? Are you kidding me? So, I mean, it's so backwards what, what, uh, what is going on. Um, but now is the time. Now is when they have to strike to get this done. So, while all of that's happening, the only, I mean, we don't have to, luckily we live in the United States. So, the United States, we don't have to go underground and, you know, and hide our cows, but they may have, look, the Dutch resisted the, although they capitulated within 24 hours during World War II, they literally went, oh, here's, here's my bike, you know, like, all right, we're gone. Um, they had great resistance. The resistance, uh, you know, great newspapers kind of came out of the resistance, uh, which are kind of shit now. But um, so, and that was the same with the French, you know, so there's, there's, there's great resistance, but we have to approach this one differently and openly so that the resistance uh, is seen by people and they can join. Because it's not illegal, you know, we're not doing illegal things. And ultimately, 
you know, stopping Bitcoin would be, I mean, yeah, you can stop it at exchanges and you can, I guess you can do all kinds of stuff. I don't think it'll get that, that way, but ultimately you can't stop me from sending an email. You know, if you want to stop Bitcoin, you got to shut that down too, kind of. So uh, it's, that's done. You know, it's, it's protected against that. Yeah, man, it's uh wild times we're living through and it just seems like it all came on so suddenly, but um I guess that's that, that's how resets work. Went, right. I, I I believe these assholes when they say it. When they say this is the great reset, you know, I've been laughing about these organizations for a long time. It goes back to Trilateral Commission, you know, um uh the uh, even World Wildlife Fund, you should look at those guys. Mm. Uh the, the United Nations, the blue helmets, what happened in Srebrenica. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of globalist type programs that haven't, haven't worked out very well, but this time it's the bankers, the mm -hmm. world economic forum is the bankers and the bankers are in trouble. They, they covered up their, their shit from 2008 with this lockdown, more printing, you know, stifle the economy and with predictable results and, and gee, isn't it coincidence that you always get a war around these events? So it, right. it could be. A real one. It could be slanted. We could not be getting all the right information, but it sure is covering up a lot of stuff that's going on, certainly economically. So, you know, Bitcoin, I think hopefully will leave us an out for when the control comes, if it does. That, that's the main thing, you know, the, hopefully the true control. Resets the great reset or, or gives them it, the great reset they didn't see coming or something. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's the cycle, man. You know, there, there will always be a-holes and we'll all have to deal with stuff. But I love that we have a rules-based, uh, when they talk about the rules-based liberal world order, we have one. It's simple. It's the Bitcoin protocol. And if you use that as money, I mean, a lot of you would be out of jobs and it would actually be a lot fairer in the world. And the distribution of wealth probably would be much more evenly set. But who that doesn't incentivize them. So, sure. you know, it's not like it's going to be an easy, an easy thing or there's going to be a switch and we all wake up one day and it's Bitcoin standard. Yeah. No, no, it's probably going to be get a lot worse before it gets better. But we can still live happily in parallel. Yeah. In a parallel system. Yeah. It's a great way to put it. Adam, man, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, Me too. You got some some wide ranging knowledge, and I appreciate all the work you're doing on podcasting 2.0 because I think that's going to have second and third order effects that we can't even imagine. Um, how good that's going to be just for freedom and dialogue in the world. So, and for, for value that. for value, I, I think that it shows people value for value and teaches some them about themselves and how they value. If if we achieve that, hallelujah, I'd be very happy. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, could you please let my audience know where they can find out more about you or your work? Yeah. So podcastindex.org is uh, you can, from there, you can find all the different uh, projects that are a part of that. Um, no agenda show uh, or no agenda.net actually uh, is the podcast um, where we break down uh, and deconstruct media, John C. Dvorak and I, and, uh, and otherwise Adam at no agenda social, uh, <laughs> follow me on the Mastodon. That's the best way. Awesome. Well, Mr. Podfather, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> thank you, Robert. I really appreciate it. It was good to meet you and uh, look forward to maybe one day in person. Yeah, likewise. Thank you.